Wen and I want to express our gratitude for every one of our listeners. Thank you for being a part of this podcast and sharing this space with us each week. We are now offering an opportunity to work with Wen or myself individually in a deeper look towards what's true about life and who you really are. If you'd like to know more, email me or Wen for more details. In a three-day dive under the noise, anything is possible. Let's find out. Now onto the podcast. Welcome. This podcast is an exploration into being human and what's possible when there's less attention on the noise in our heads. Warning. While listening to this broadcast, you may experience moments of deep peace, sighs of relief, personal insights, or long stretches of dead air. Do not be afraid. This is normal. Under the Noise with Wynn Morgan and Kate Roberts. Welcome to Under the Noise. I'm Kate Roberts and I'm here with my co-host Wynn Morgan. Hi Wynn. Hello Kate, how are you doing? (laughs) I'm doing well, how are you? I am well, thanks very much. But truth be known, (laughs) I'm a little bit self-conscious. You are. I am for a reason that you know. I got a new laptop. And my new laptop, one reason for getting it, it has a better webcam. But the downside of a good webcam is it really shows up flaws. <laughs> so I saw myself on the big screen just to test that it was working and everything. And I went, what happened? So um, if you're on YouTube, I'm sorry. And if you're on audio, I'm really pleased. <laughs> That's how I'm feeling right now. Well, so we got an email from a listener that would love for us to chat about fear. Yeah. Mm. Um, And thanks for sending the question in about fear. It is one of those that I think, well, I've had a lot of experience of, but I'm pretty sure I ain't the only one to have experience of fear. It's a very common um, emotion that we have. It was also mentioned in the email, there was a book that came out, I don't know, maybe 30 years ago, possibly now. It's at least 20 anyway. I remember reading it back in about 2001 called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. Um, I think Susan Jeffries, I think that's who wrote it. I remember at the time really enjoying it because at the time what I thought was available to us and what I was up to in my work with people was to get them to have better thinking about things. So, you know, have better thinking about fear, better thinking about whatever the event is. But but I'm pretty sure now I would see it a little differently. But as you and I know, the best thing for us to do sometimes is just riff in real time and see what we see about it right now. The other thing that I'm, I notice as well is there's a huge difference between fear and danger. Mm-hmm. And sometimes emotionally, I can't tell the difference, but there evidently is because I don't know how many times I've been in genuine danger in my life. Very few. I've been scared a lot. So I think that's an interesting thing to notice is that fear does not mean there is peril, but it feels like it is. 
So I think that's the first thing I'd want to share as it comes to mind right now here in the summer of 2023. That's my most up-to-date and the best I've got so far until you and I will explore a little deeper in the next half an hour or so. I also think that biologically, being aware of real peril, of real danger is an amazingly important attribute that we have that keeps us alive. I also know that if we went back, I don't know, 5,000 years, we would have an awful lot more real danger, real peril on a daily basis than we do today. And I don't know if um, we've updated that inside. Biologically, we're no real different. We're no different at all than 5,000 years ago as human beings, as a species, we're not. And because of the advances that we've been able to make is that I'm not likely to die from drinking water from the tap, from the faucet. When a few hundred years ago, people were dying of, of cholera, of many other illnesses that were waterborne. And fortunate in our society, I mean, in the country that you live in, in the country that I live, that we don't have to be hypervigilant about things, but I don't think we've updated our relationship to things. I still think we're living as if everything is life or death. Ish. Okay, I'm probably overstating it, but 5,000 years ago, there was genuine peril and danger. Anyway, if I say any more, I'll be repeating myself. So I want to know if anything that I said uh, sparked anything in you. Well, a couple things. You know, it brought up, you know, even in um, the U.S. I've only lived in another country for a short time, so I don't even know if I could speak to that. But I started to think about, even in the U.S., the people that live with a certain amount of actual danger in their everyday lives. Like, mm, I think battered women probably feel that way. That's an actual real danger for them in their lives, that they try to make it through each day that way. Um, or, of course, their children as well. Um, people who live in pretty dangerous neighborhoods have to be aware. And But then it occurred to me only really to talk from my own personal experience because I can't talk to that. Um, I haven't been in those situations really where I had to be aware of actual danger. But I, I love that you're, I love how you separated the two because that's a huge distinction. Now, whether our brains can tell the difference in any moment, right, is something else, but um, because I really think that the way that we live under these kind of high stress um, lifestyles, oftentimes I think the brain will respond in a way that it actually thinks it's in danger. Yeah. But in my personal experience, you know, like scary situations like car accidents, I've been in a few that could have really turned out 
not well. Um, I can remember this one time too. And this is kind of interesting. I remember walking down a street, like a city street back to a hotel. And nobody was on the street except for this one person that was heading towards us while we were walking. And there was this feeling all of a sudden, this kind of knowing to cross the street and go somewhere else. Now, it didn't feel like it came out of fear. I didn't feel scared. I felt like, oh, no, we need to be over here now and cross the street. But it still didn't feel like it came out of a fearful place. I don't typically do that. Um, so that's kind of interesting because that, I don't know whether or not that could have been a real danger, but it didn't feel scary. Like just like a knowing, like, Mm-mm, I need to go over here, which was kind of interesting because the person I was with didn't get that at all. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, just trust me, I guess, on this. Man, there are things that definitely feel like my, I've reached the edge of my comfort zone on situations where I can feel it. Like, if I do this, this is really kind of edgy for me. Now, that doesn't have nothing to do with danger. But it, like my heart will raise, I might get a little like my palms are sweaty and I can feel that I am, I mean, that may be more like nervousness, but sometimes it's more than nervousness. It's like, oh my gosh, this is scary for me. Yeah. Like getting up in front of people sometimes, having to speak in front of people, that feels really sometimes very scary for me. And I find that, And I think I've actually spoken to this on the podcast, but if I can manage to feel that as I'm doing it and just allow that to be what it is, I mean, eventually I settle down. (laughs) Like physically, like I settle down. Mentally, I can be really still at the same time that that's happening, which is interesting. And sometimes when there's this really cool place between fear and excitement that is really kind of cool, like, I don't know, hang gliding or something like that, which you're just like, I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> just You're scared and excited and it all kind of wraps together. And that's kind of a cool thing. I don't know. Did you hear anything in that? Well, a few reminders for me about what I've seen for myself and what I've heard other people talk to me about in the last few months. I do want to go back to, though, that situation that you found yourself in where instinctively you knew across the street. And I, I tend to think if there's genuine danger and peril, we have a real-time response built in I tend to think that that feels very different because it's instinctual and it's now very different from 
what I was class as, as fear of giving a talk, as you said, and you know, that's not one that really gets me going. I'll get a little nerves, but yeah, more that's more excitement than anything else. But there are some things that would be like, like asking someone I like on a date. I mean, that feels like life or death <laughs> to me. That's how far out of whack the feelings can actually be. Like if she said, no, I don't know, I might as well, you know, dig a hole in the garden and put myself in it, you know. I'm way out of whack with that. And it's the same thing that I hear, you know, what, what you just said about giving a talk, giving a presentation. A lot of the time when people come to me for help in the business world, it is because they've got a big meeting or a big presentation to give. I was talking with somebody Friday about this. And they're quite senior in their organization, and they totally froze in giving a presentation because they thought they should know better now. As it turned out, when they said, I, I couldn't say a word, I was totally stuck. I think it might have, it might have lasted for two seconds in their mind. I think it felt like two years. I'm pretty sure it was two seconds. The other thing to, that I'm just conscious of right now is how visceral that feeling is. And it really makes it look like it is life or death. Now, I remember someone telling me a while ago that they were doing emotion questionnaires on fighter pilots in the US Air Force to the point that you just said. And there was a, a, a discriminator between the people who became really good pilots in the R and the R and not the RAF because that's the British one because this was the U.S. Air Force um, study. Yeah. The people who made made the grade in uh, in the Air Force there saw everything they went through in the simulations and in their training flights as excitement, and the people who couldn't cut it were scared. They had just a different word for the same kind of feeling. And I remember this example, um, Bruce Springsteen, who I'm seeing in a few nights' time, was really? once interviewed, yeah, for the 15th time. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, he matches my, uh, he matches Jackson Brown for the number of times I've seen somebody live and paid a ticket for, as of this week. But Bruce Springsteen, back to the point, was interviewed a while ago, and I'm going back now, six, seven, maybe 10 years ago even. He was interviewed about what it was like to go on stage, how he felt. Did you get nervous? And uh, the boss came back and said, yeah, I do. I have this energy in me, and I've got this, this tingling, and I feel so alive. And then the interviewer says, doesn't that petrify you? Petrify me? No, that's why I do it. So it's interesting that the feeling that some of us would think would be extreme nervousness to him was, geez, this is a tingle of a life. Now, that might just be a very clever reframe or anything, but it's interesting how the same emotion can have a very different inward story to what we make of that feeling. It's interesting to me. Like a roller coaster. Yeah. 
it's funny because when am I scared of, of a roller coaster? When I'm getting close to the front of the line, and when the chick 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 oh, slow bit of before it, yeah, that that bit right before it goes. There's um when you're like, what did I do? <laughs> yeah, what did I do this for? Oh, this feeling. There's um there's a ride in Alton Towers, one of the big theme parks here in the UK, called Oblivion. And I came out in about, I don't know, maybe 1996, 97, 98 or something like that. And the company I worked for at the time um, had a deal that for staff kind of incentive that they would close the park and only be for employees and family. So me and my brother, and I think either two or three of his, um, he had three kids at the time, maybe four, but the fourth one wasn't, wasn't big enough to go. Um, we went to Walton Towers, and uh, this Oblivion ride had just been over. I hadn't been on it before. I'd been to Walton Towers a few times, but I'd not been to this Oblivion ride. And it was the world's first vertical roller coaster with a vertical drop. GB face down. And it's petrifying because they hold you at the top while you're facing down, and they hold you until they let you go. You know, it's a good few seconds. And at that point, it is just absolutely petrifying. And then they let go. And me and my brother were in the front, screaming, and then ran around straight after we got off it to go to the front again. Just for that feeling again. You know, that actually made me think of a story. Um, a new ride had come out at this theme park where, near where I used to live. So it's like maybe four of us and we've been in line for at least 45 minutes, okay? So for 45 minutes, they're basically the way that the ride goes is that it shoots out of the, however you call it, you know, where people get into the ride, right? It shoots out going 90 miles an hour. Like it just takes off and then it goes straight up and then it curves around and then you go down and it's the whole ride, right? So it basically takes momentum from shooting out, right? To go that fast, to make it up to the top, to barely, you know, and then, and we've watched this a hundred times. And every time we're like, oh my gosh, it's so exciting, right? So it's like 45 minutes of watching this happen. And then we get to, and we're moving up the line. And then it shoots out at one point and it doesn't make it. And just like slides back into the, <laughs> it's, it, I don't know what they had to do to like emergency break that thing. So it didn't go into the next car, right. That people are already getting on, but they had to do something. And so you see everyone in line like this, they're like, do we want to stay in line knowing this ride is broken? Okay. Like even if they fix it, are we willing to really, so it's like this whole thing of like excitement, excitement, and then it got a little real. <laughs> it's like broken. So what they do is they come out and they're like, oh yeah, we need to work on the ride. It was broken. And we decided to, to leave. Because we were like, I mean, we're not idiots. We're not going to get on a broken ride, right? And like die. So it's like this weird thing where it's like, we allow for that kind of excitement and fear. Yeah. And then now it's like, 
oh no, maybe that's a little too real (laughs) and maybe not as safe as we thought it was. But then we go to a ride that's probably been in existence for, I don't know, 30 years. And it's so rickety. Like it's an old, old ride. And you're like, is this thing going to fly off into the air when you're on it? Because it's so old and rickety, but there's something about, Ooh, that's the danger. And so there's this interesting thing that we do to justify our actions. So it's like, if it, if it falls within this certain amount of danger, that's okay. And it's okay to feel this way. And you're, you're allowing the fear, but then there's another story where, I don't know, it's, and it's all inside our heads. Yeah. What fear is allowed? Like what kind of danger is allowed in our life? And you talking to somebody like, and asking them for a date is really like your edge. And then, but you have no problem talking to somebody else and pitching them a, a like a coaching package, yeah. which is really scary for other people. It's like this amazing thing that we do that creates our experience and we don't even know that we're doing it. Yeah. And that's why I love the fact that these conversations always seem to come back to the nature of whatever it is. So we just did one on suffering, right? Let's say we're doing one on fear and the nature of fear. But when we create it, when you could almost walk into it like a wall because it's that solid. When we decide this is the fear that I don't want to feel in this situation, it can feel so solid. So it doesn't. So interesting. It is interesting. Now, I don't know. But whatever made you decide to not carry on going on that ride was probably closer to I think we should walk to the other side of the street <laughs> maybe and I am not going to be so scared I might throw up or you know avoid another you know part of my anatomy um, I think it's really different and I think it is possible to have a different relationship with what we see is not now not perilous not danger I know that. I've seen that. It's slackened off for me a bit. Where there are, to the point that you just made, is that some people have asked me, well, geez, doesn't that take courage? Doesn't that mean you've got to overcome your fear? And most of the time, when I'm doing things that other people are afraid of, I'm going, wouldn't even occur to me that fear was built into that. Courage? No. If it took courage, I possibly might not have done it. But just seeing it for what it is. It's interesting, isn't it? So my, I think my invitation for you listening to this with a bit of perspective is to just take a look for you and notice when have you been scared, been afraid, and there's been no 
there's been no current peril nor danger. And maybe where there has been peril, real time nowness in the peril or danger, what made it possible for you to still be here listening to this? That's just an interesting point to ponder. Often, I mean, I, I hear it so much that, you know, from not just from clients, but from, you know, people in my life, friends and family, and they say, I'm scared of something. I'm scared of going old. I'm scared of this. I'm scared of what happens if, what happens when. And it feels like that's another example of borrowing a future feeling, hoping, hoping that feeling it now might make it less painful then, or that we are more prepared for it, and it's just not true. We can't, you know, pay that forward. I'll feel it now so I don't have to feel it later. That's just not how it works. And I do know that we tend to, one event of life at a time, deal with things far better than certainly than I give myself credit for still. I don't know if that's any of any help or solace to anybody about if you're worried and scared about the future. And I've seen for myself there's definitely something in that. You know, I've, I've listened to a podcast of somebody else that is kind of in the, the three principles world. And, you know, the book that you're talking about where it's like you feel the fear and do it anyway, right? Is that the title? Yeah. Is that you do that and you do that thing anyway and it still seems like it's about the thing. Yeah. Even when you do it anyway, you're like, oh, I can do that. And you do it over and over and over again. And it looks less and less like the thing, but really you think still it's about the thing. Yeah. Whereas I'm listening to this podcast and this um, kind of teacher in this world talks about, you know, these feelings that we're trying to avoid. We don't really get to see what they're made of if we do it anyway. Then you haven't really looked at the feeling that the experience of fear that you're creating, right? And she encourages people to do something that not a lot of people do. And she's like, what if you just lean into it? Like lean into this feeling that you're trying to avoid by either not doing it or jumping so far over that fear straight into it that somehow it's less fearful. But acknowledging that you're having some experience like fear and being able to lean into that, knowing that you're going to be okay in that feeling, in that emotion. Was it kind of a sense of like curiosity Knowing it's not about the thing, but being able to lean into that feeling, not to stay there necessarily, but not to do all these things to avoid that space. Yeah. What's that made out of? And, and it's like taking you into the nature of that experience. And when you can lean into that feeling, whatever that feeling is, 
even if it's just for a second, it becomes that thing less that you have to avoid that feeling, that experience of that feeling. And the more you're willing to do that, I mean, this is what she's kind of saying, not in her words, but the more we're willing to lean into these experiences that we're always trying to stay out of or avoid. For some people, it might be loneliness, doubt, um, insecurity. And so when we're talking about things like fear, just to get curious about that feeling and what that feels like, just to explore the feeling that's happening in your body. Get curious about it. You know, put on your lab coat like one of our guests talked about and get curious about it. I love that. It's a great reminder of being curious of the feeling, not of the event, because the event is not the cause. Can't be. Because if it was the event, then we'd be feeling it now, and that would be real danger and peril. And if you... You would not be listening to a podcast. Well, and even if you you feel the fear and do it anyway, it's just going to be something else. Right, it's pointing in the wrong direction. (laughs) Yeah. Rather than the nature of fear and our experience in this life. I love that. The nature of any feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Thanks, Glenn. Thank you. And thanks for listening to today's episode around fear. Thank you, Kate. And um, all our information is is after this in the outro pre-recorded by Kate and wherever you found this podcast. And we wish you a really great week. Thanks for joining us. We'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and review. If you have a topic or question that you'd like us to chat about, email Wynn or Kate at win at winning.co.uk and Kate at katerobertscoaching.com. Until then, enjoy what's possible under the noise.